desk, oppressed by them, uncertain where he should begin, though he was accustomed to paperwork. But his father's affairs had been left in disarray. He was ashamed of the paraphernalia of death. Can I have the key now, then? May I have the key now? Okay. The key for the red room? Yes. Well... Mr. Joseph Hooper moved his hand towards the small left-side drawer in the desk, underneath the drawer where sealing wax had always been kept, but then said, No, no, you had really much better be playing cricket in the sun, Edmund. Something of that sort. You have been shown everything there is in the red room. There's nobody to play cricket with. Ah, well, now, I shall soon be doing something about that. You shall have your friend. Anyway, I don't like cricket. Edmund, you will not be difficult, please. I have a good deal to do. I cannot waste time in foolish arguments. Hooper went out, wishing he'd said nothing. He wanted nothing to be done. Nobody should come here. But he knew where to find the key. He is like his mother, thought Mr. Joseph Hooper. He has the same way of not bothering to explain and of making secrets. The same hardness and cool way of looking. It was six years since the death of Ellen Hooper. The marriage had not been happy. When his son, who so resembled her, was away at school, there were long spells when it was hard for him to remember what she had looked like. Joseph Hooper turned back to answering the letter which had come in reply to his advertisement. The house, which was called Waring's, had been built by the boy's great-grandfather, and so it was not very old. In those days there had been a large village, and the first Joseph Hooper had owned a good deal of land. Now the village had shrunk, people had left for the towns, and there had been few newcomers, few new buildings. Dern became like an old busy port, which has been deserted by the sea. All the Hooper land had been sold off piece by piece. But there were still wearings, built on a slope leading out of the village, some distance from any other house. The first Joseph Hooper had been a banker, and rising in the world when at the age of thirty he had built the house. I am not ashamed of it, he had told his friends in the city, and indeed he had spent more on it than he could well afford. He hoped to grow into it, as a child grows into overlarge shoes. He was an ambitious man. He had brought the younger daughter of a minor baronet here as his bride, and set about founding his family, consolidating a position so that he could afford the house he'd built. He had succeeded with no margin, so that bit by bit the surrounding land which belonged to him had been sold. That is the history of Waring's, the present Joseph Hooper had told his son Edmund, taking him solemnly around. You should be very proud. He did not see why. It was an ordinary house, he thought, an ugly house, nothing to boast of. But the idea that it was his, the idea of a family history, pleased him. His father said, You will come to understand what it means to be a hooper as you get older. Though he thought, What does it mean? It means little to himself and he shrank from the expression in the boy's eyes, from his knowingness. He was his mother's son. 
Waring's was ugly. It was entirely graceless, rather tall and badly angled, built of dark red brick. At the front, and on both sides, there was the lawn, sloping downwards to a gravelled drive and then into the lane, and without any tree or flower bed to relieve the bald greenness. Up the drive and at the back of the house, bunched between the yew trees, were the great bushes of rhododendron. The yew trees had stood here before the house Waring's had been built around them. For the first Joseph Hooper had admired their solidity and denseness, the fact that they grew so slowly and were the longest lived of all trees. He had planted the rhododendrons too, not at all for their brief dramatic show of colour in May and June, but for their dark green leathery leaves and toughness of stem, their substantial look. He liked their gathered shapes seen from the end of the drive. Inside the house everything was predictable. The high-ceilinged rooms with heavy sashed windows, the oak wall panelling and the oak doors and the oak staircase, the massive furniture. Little had been changed since the beginning. Joseph Hooper had spent that part of his childhood before school and between terms in this house, and he did not like it. He had unhappy memories of Waring's. Yet now, at the age of fifty-one, he admitted that he was a Hooper, his father's son, and so he had come to admire the solidity and the gloom. He thought, it is a prepossessing house. For he knew himself to be an ineffectual man without any strength or imposing qualities, a man who was liked and humoured, but little regarded, a man who had failed, but not dramatically, as one falling from a great height who attracts attention. He was a dull man, a man who got by. He thought, I know myself, and am depressed by what I know. But now, with his father gone, he could stand before this house and have it lend him both importance and support. He could speak of Waring's, my place in the country. It would make up for a good deal. A narrow path led down between the yew trees into a small copse, that, and a field beyond it, were all that was now left of the Hooper land. The boys' room, high up at the back of the house, overlooked the copse. He had chosen it. His father had said, But look at all the others, so much larger and brighter. You had much better take the old playroom and have that yourself. But he had wanted this, a narrow room with a tall window. Above him there were only the attics. When he woke now there was an enormous moon, so that at first he thought it was already dawn and that he'd missed his chance. He got out of bed. There was a slight, persistent movement of wind through the yew-tree branches, and the elms and the oaks of the copse, and a rustling of the high grasses in the field. The moonlight, penetrating a thin space between two trees, caught the stream that ran through its centre, so that now and then, as the branches stirred, there was a gleam of water. Edmund Hooper looked down. The night was very warm. Outside, on his landing, there was no moonlight, and he felt his way in the dark, first on the carpeted upper staircase, and then for the last two flights on the bare, polished oak. He went forward quite deliberately, being sure of his way and unafraid. There was no sound from the room where his father slept. 
Mrs. Boland only came here during the day. Mrs. Boland did not like Waring's. It is too dark, she said. It smells unlived in, of old things like a museum. And she had gone about trying to let in light and fresh air where she could. But Dern was low-lying, and the air that summer was close and still. Hooper crossed the wide hall, and here too, because it was the front of the house, no moonlight came. Behind him, the wood of the staircase settled back upon itself after he had trodden it. At first he could not decide which key it might be. There were three together in the left-hand drawer, but one was longer with a smudge of red paint across the rim, red paint for the red room. It was at the back of the house, facing the copse, so that when he pushed open the door, he saw it in full moonlight, almost as bright as day, when the lights always had to go on because of the yew branches overhanging the windows. Hooper stepped inside. It had been designed by the first Joseph Hooper as a library, and there were still the glass cases reaching from floor to ceiling, all around the room, filled with books. But nobody ever read here. The first Joseph Hooper had not even done so. Edmund Hooper examined the titles of some of the books the day he was brought here to see his dying grandfather, and they were of no interest. There were bound volumes of the Banker's Journal and the Stockbroker's Gazette, and complete sets of the Victorian novelists never opened. It was his grandfather, recently dead, who had started to make use of the Red Room. He had been a lepidopterist. He had filled it with glass showcases of moths and butterflies. It was like the room of a museum. For here was no carpet on the polished oak boards, and the display cases stood in two long rows from...